Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And before we go any further, Caroline, we need to thank listener Jennifer for this podcast we're going to do on filial piety, which is a, a, a Chinese cornerstone of family life. And child rearing. And Jennifer wrote into us saying, Hey, you should look into filial piety. And she also sent us a ton of scholarly research that has been done on filial piety. And there is no faster way to our hearts <laughs> than to send us an email full of journal articles. That's right. Yeah. I learned all sorts of stuff about Chinese families I never knew. Right. Because I feel like uh, so often on the podcast, Obviously, we focus on Western families, Western parenting, whereas this whole filial piety thing first came into the news, I would say, with uh, Amy Chua a couple of years ago, who wrote The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother and started this whole debate with an excerpt that was published in the Wall Street Journal, where she, which was titled Why Chinese Mothers Are Superior. And all these Western moms were like, oh, what? <laughs> um, but a lot of the stuff that she talks about is loosely based on on filial piety. And then uh, even more recently, I heard on NPR that starting this summer in 2013, the Chinese government is going to be allowing parents to sue their adult children for violating filial piety. Essentially, if they're not taking care of their elderly parents well enough, going to get sued, kids. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that that idea is so embedded in their culture that suing your own children over taking care of you would even be an option. Because I know, for instance, my parents would not ever think in those terms. You know, my dad is a big planner, a financial guy. So, you know, he has all these uh, things set up to protect him and and my mom when they get older. They would never think that it would be their daughter's responsibility to take care of them. Yeah, a lot of times when we think of family litigation, it's more the kids taking the parents to task in court. But in China, it's a unique situation because by enforcing, in a sense, filial piety... 
it's a way of providing a, a safety net for the massive population of seniors, which is expected to grow by nearly 500 million people in the next 40 years. So the government's saying, hey, you know what? Uh, we can't take the entire cost of that burden. So kids, hey, step up. Right. Because filial piety has been such a foundational tradition for centuries, for millennia. Yeah, and it was part of several different philosophies, and it it from there grew into, like Kristen said, being that cornerstone of Chinese culture. And the earliest appearance of the character for Xiao, which is the word for filial piety, uh, is on a bronze vessel dated to the last years of the Shang dynasty, or perhaps the earliest years of the Zhu dynasty around 1000 BC. So this is no like modern, you know, communist era China policy. This goes way back. Right. And initially, Xiao had more of the sense of providing food offerings to your ancestors. But then it evolved to encompass service to both living parents and ancestors. And it ties in a lot with uh, Confucianism, which is more of a, a humanist school of thought where rather than, you know, living your life to honor, say, God, you live your life to honor the world and especially to your family. That's more you think of that more in a religious and air quotes sense of extreme devotion. So Xiao was a major concept in Confucianism, and Confucianism was established as a state orthodoxy during the Han dynasty, which was characterized by the official promotion of filial piety. And the dynasty systematically made unfilial conduct actually a punishable crime, which sounds familiar to this this lawsuit thing that you're talking about, and rewarded acts of filial piety. And with few exceptions during this dynasty, emperors even adopted did Xiao as part of their official titles. Now, Xiao also had a, sort of a double-edged effect. This is coming from researcher Donald Holtzman, who talks about how this centrality of the homage that children render to their parents and ancestor worship in Chinese culture created a strong tie binding succeeding generations to one another. It's, it's very common, for instance, even still, for multiple generations to live under one roof in China. And, and so it explains both its enduring character, but also at the same time, the difficulty of adopting it to the modern world, which is uh, something that we'll, we'll get into more in terms of the Chinese government really trying to reinvigorate the sense of filial piety among Chinese adults who are our age, who, who might not have grown up in, in such a, a time when it was so rigorously taught and enforced. Uh, but Xiao Jing, or the classic of filial piety, was basic to classical Chinese education and was part of school curriculum right up into the 20th century. And what, though, specifically we're talking about with filial piety, it's not just... You know, saying, oh, you know, be nice to your parents, honor your parents, obey them, respect them. But if you look at classic texts like the 24 Paragons of Filial Piety, those examples get pretty extreme. I, I mean, it's, it's things like, uh, there was, there was one 
one of the, the stories is about a son. A lot of it is based on like the son's relationship mm-hmm. to the parents. And one of them is about a son who goes off into the woods to, you know, hunt or gather something. And he leaves his mother at the house and a guest arrives. And the mother apparently is so excited by this guest that she bites her finger nervously, causing it to bleed. And while the son is miles away from home, all of a sudden, at the moment she bites her finger, he feels, you know, a disturbance in the force and (laughs) then rushes back home. And of course, you know, her finger's fine, but she is overjoyed that her son is, you know, so, so, uh, so kind. And I mean, it, it even gets into, you know, stories of not to be gross. If you are eating right now, you might want to pause because there's one story, for instance, about a son testing his parents' stool to find out whether or not everything's okay with them because they're ailing, you know, his parents are sick, and so he eats their poop to find out what's going on. He eats it? He eats their poop. Uh, that's that's the early Chinese version of everybody poops. <laughs> exactly, but that, I mean, but that is the extremity, and and these these extreme examples are honored, saying, "Oh, you are, you know, you're a paragon of filial piety because you will go to such great lengths to make sure that your aging parents." Are healthy and happy. Right. But all of these early texts, as you've hammered home just now, focus mainly on the sons and the sons subordination where they do talk about daughters, women, daughters-in-law. It's really about how the daughter-in-law needs to be devoted to her husband's family. And this really created a lot of conflict between daughters-in-law and parents-in-law in these clan-based families. And we have the scripture on young woman Yuye, which was written as Confucianism was on the way out. And so, you know, we've talked about a lot of social movements in the podcast and about how people reach back to more conservative times when society is rapidly changing and scary things are developing. And this is just one more example of that. They're like, let's write something to show women how they need to behave because all this rigmarole that's happening as Confucianism is leaving us. So the scripture focused exclusively on the role of the daughter-in-law, whose conduct is portrayed as pivotal in ensuring harmony in the family and classified women according to their social and family roles. And this type of focus was pretty unprecedented. The scripture's moral rules really serve to reinforce the Confucian sense of propriety for women and reflect this perceived need to reassert moral order at a time when the Confucian orthodoxy was losing its hold on the elite uh, Chinese society. So in contrast to those Confucian texts up to that period, which usually kind of ignored women, and they're like, you know what, you need to be obedient and nice and sweet and cute, but let's really talk about how the sons need to obey their parents and be reverent. This scripture praises women for loyal and filial service to their parents-in-law, thus trying to really hammer home that status quo. So in in the change, it really only reinforced the same. Right. They're like, oh, uh, uh, by the way, hey, women, you're supposed to also be really reverent, but not to your parents. Once you get married, it has to be to your parents-in-law. Right. Because along these lines of thought, for men, the shall or filial piety is genetically determined because right. they're born of sons and thus they need to carry out this filial piety. But for women, it's expected to shift to her husband's ancestral lineage 
at marriage. So, you know, it's like, uh, you know, when you're a daughter, yeah, you know, be good to your parents. But then once you get married and stuff, you're going to have to devote all of your attention to your husband's parents. Uh, but then in uh, 730 AD, I believe, uh, the book of filial piety for women comes out um, because the writer understood that the book of filial piety, uh, though gender neutral, was implicitly addressed to males. And this was attributed to an official's wife. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Yeah, and the primary goal of this writing was to expand the book of filial piety for women and girls. That same idea of, oh, wait, things are changing. We need to tell women what to do. So the moral vision was that seemingly small acts can have major consequences and can transform others in ever-widening circles. In other words... Hey, so you're hanging out in the kitchen all the time, but don't worry. You can still have effects on society. You can still exert moral influence over your husband, let's say, who can then go out and affect change in the local government or local village who can then, you know, affect the, the, the nation and the, the empire. So they're like, don't worry, women, you can still be important from the kitchen. Well, and that and the maternal role, though, was highly um, emphasized because one of, you know, a, like a good child. Chinese mother seeks to educate her children and almost to um, a what we might think in more 
Western terms at to, as to a severe extent. Like mm-hmm. there was a, an article that I ran across that was written by Amy Tiger Mom Chua, which she goes over to China to interview, do these profiles on uh, four self-made female billionaires, because apparently China has more female self-made billionaires than anywhere else in the world. And she's talking to one of them and uh, and talks about how even still she you know practices tenets of filial piety so when her sons come home from school they don't go play sports they have to sit down and practice chinese characters for 2 hours because she's being you know a good mother enforcing those you know the kind of hardlined i guess educational tactics yeah, according to that book of filial piety for women, it's interesting to look at what constitutes a good woman, you know, the the mother who educates her, t- her children versus what is considered to be an immoral woman. So a good woman, you're a wife who admonishes your husband. You keep your husband in line, but you're immoral and unfilial if you dare become jealous of your husband's concubines. How dare you? Let your husband be happy, why don't you? Well, and even after your husband passes away, a a good woman is considered one who does not remarry. Um, But let's move forward, though. I mean, like we said, this is going back to ancient times, but it's incredible that Xiao has endured for so long. And even today, it's been singled out as a key to preserving Chinese tradition and identity. Uh, But not so surprisingly, along with modernization that has happened, uh, perception of gender roles has rendered the development of filial piety a lot more complex because... You know, you, you know, women are, are certainly not quite as keen on sticking to those uh, good, good wife and mother uh, kinds of ideas versus bad wife mother. They they just want to be, you know, women and be educated and right successful. And you do wonder. I mean, there is the issue of the one child policy, and so I am interested in how. You know, okay, so in ancient times, you shifted your filial piety when you married your husband to his parents. But what about if you are the only child and you are a girl and you don't have a brother to stay behind and, you know, express that reverence to your parents? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting as as things change and, and China adopts new policies. But looking at how society has changed and how those changes have affected filial piety, um there's been some rapid urbanization since the 1970s. This is coming from elderly Chinese and Pacific Rim countries, social support and integration. Those rapid changes in Hong Kong with the progress of compulsory education in particular, the younger generations have found themselves better educated than their parents, which leads to them, you know, earning more money, more skills. And that has actually kind of devalued the status of elders. So, you know, I, I want to say kids today. Kids today aren't necessarily as likely to run to their parents and say, what do I do? Tell me what to do. It's more like, well, you know, what's your opinion? Well, and it's not only that. There's the radical shift of kids even just moving out of the home. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big thing where, uh, you know, if you think about in more rural communities, right. kids are growing up these days and leaving going thousands of miles away to more urban centers where they can get jobs leaving parents in these areas to take care of themselves, whereas a while ago that would be unheard of. Right. And, you know, I talked about how it would affect women, especially in this one-child policy society. There was a 2003 study in gender and society that looked at 
uh, how filial piety was working and how women played into that. And they found an evidence of decline in the patrilocal tradition of caregiving, a gender division of parental care tasks, and a strong social pressure that influences that caregiving behavior. And their research indicated negative effects for the women who are now caregivers as they are likely to live longer, but be more financially dependent and have fewer children available to help them. So these women are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place nowadays, you know, expected to care for their parents, care for their husbands. And if the husband passes away, they're kind of juggling both families and not having enough help you know, in their caregiving duties. Right. And on top of that, um, there's a study from the Journal of Aging Studies from May 2002, uh, which examined the strength of the traditional Confucian filial piety, which would step in, like in those situations you're talking about, and, you know, and basically instruct the children to take care of their aging mothers. And, and this study found that, not surprisingly, these tenets are eroding and, um, Recently, this is as of 2012, the Chinese government has issued an updated version of the 24 paragons of filial piety in an attempt to, like we said at the top of the podcast, to reinvigorate kids to essentially pay more attention to their parents. Um, but as the New York Times reported in September of 2012, uh, some of the Chinese people are, are straight up just turning away um, from old school filial piety because it's like, well, the world has changed. And, you know, I try to call my parents and talk to them, but I can't be there all the time. Right. And there has been a backlash and people are ridiculing these new ideas because they're kind of striking a lot of people as out of touch in this nation where millions are leaving the countryside in search of jobs in cities every year. For example, one of those new paragons of filial piety is Take one's parents traveling frequently. And if you're one of the country's 252 million migrant workers, you can't actually afford to do that. And nearly 11 million rural migrants arrived in Chinese cities in 2011 alone, most likely leaving those aging parents behind. So people are going in in search of opportunity and can't always get back, you know, and take an hours long trip to see their aging parents. Right. And the Chinese government is also having to deal with a massively negative effect of its one child policy, which has left a ton of emptiness and on top of those kids who are leaving home and going far, far away. Um, emptiness now make up 50 percent of Chinese households and nearly half of the 185 million people over 60 live apart from their children. I mean, if we think about today in the United States, the whole issue of the aging baby boomer population, social security, and the question of whether or not that's going to take care of them. Think about China, you know, where even just familial support can't be as guaranteed as a, as a safety net, you know, on a lower rung from, you know, what the government might be able to provide. Yeah, and fortunately, uh, a study in the Journal of Family Issues in March 2006 found that these only children were as likely to plan on helping their parents as were those with siblings and were actually more likely to intend to reside in the same city. But it's it's the thing of like, well, if you're going where the, the money is and the opportunity is, that single child is 
kind of being torn in two directions and is not always able to stay with their parents where they're needed. And so, but luckily, according to the study, the only children seem to feel especially responsible for their parents' happiness. So maybe we're just going to end up with a generation of kids who are completely stressed out and don't know what to do. That sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These days, so. Um, but one thing we have not really touched on, though, is communism, because obviously, you know, uh, China has been a, a communist society and uh, there was a study in aging and political policy that came out in October of 2008, looking at how uh, today's Chinese communist society sort of m- meshes with filial piety. And it found that although Chinese communists have found filial piety to be ideologically repulsive, they have nevertheless tolerated it and even used it as the basis for a welfare network to support the elderly in villages. I mean, essentially like kind of saying again, well, hey, you know what? We've got, we've got this free support network that we can tap into. Yeah, let's guilt these kids into taking care of their parents so we don't have to. Exactly. Well, so how does all this change when when families move to America or, you know, move to any other country outside of China, really? Um, a, an October 2002 study in the Journal of Family Issues uh, interviewed middle class Taiwanese and Hong Kong immigrant families in California. And although three generational cohabitation may have declined once they reached America, so once these these nuclear families shrink a little, the author found that the family still remains the nexus of care networks and economic ties among Chinese immigrants. And so immigrant adult children do maintain the cultural ideal of filial piety, but they do it differently. They end up uh, in the study they found recruiting home care workers as fictive kin. And they say that the public care doesn't indicate the diminishment of family bonds, but rather reinforces kin connections as channels for circulating economic resources among these people who are new to America. So it sounds like for a traditional Chinese family, it's it's not as though if they were to leave China, they leave all of their you know traditional Chinese morals behind. They take it with them. And, and there is a process of acculturation that happens in which you, you know, adapt traits from one culture and, and mix it in with another. So uh, there was a study in Marriage and Family Review in January of 2009 to look at those effects of acculturation on uh, these Chinese families. And it found that there is some intergenerational conflict that will happen uh, when it comes to parenting in Chinese American families that were associated with youth distress above and beyond just acculturation gaps. So basically saying that, you know, beyond just the, the typical growing pains, if you will, that might occur, um, this study highlighted some, some more direct distress. Yeah, it's interesting because they pointed out that maybe these Chinese parents should increase parental warmth and decrease parental overprotection to which Amy Chua would be like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, her whole thing, I don't, I don't feel like we've, we've gone into great detail on, uh, what Chua had to say in Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. Um, basically she talked about how her two daughters were, for instance, never allowed to go to sleepovers, never allowed to go to movies, like all of these typical things that we would associate with, you know, the good times of being a kid. No, Chua's kids would not be doing those things because they would be practicing violin, practicing piano, practicing uh, or studying for school. And she says, hey, you know what? Do I sound like a jerk? Yeah, I know that I do. And I know that this is in direct contrast to the more 
lenient Western parenting styles. But guess what? My kids are going to go Ivy League all the way. One of her daughters had already played piano at Carnegie Hall, etc. Mm-hmm. And while everyone, yeah, well, a lot of the commenters flipped out saying that she was, you know, issuing cruel and unusual punishment and robbing her kids of a childhood. Um, her kids, one of her daughters actually wrote a response piece to it saying, I'm grateful to my mom for doing this, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, Chua basically said it was her way of showing love. Like, I believe in my daughters. I believe that they can achieve all this stuff. And plus, hey, they owe me. I'm their mom. They owe me to obey me and do what I say so that they can grow up to be productive members of society. And these attitudes, I mean, that's just that's that's one example. But these attitudes do carry over. Um, there was a study in basic and applied social psychology in 2000 that looked at Chinese New Zealander families and researchers found strong acceptance of filial piety obligations even there. And the felt expectations they found were stronger from elderly parents than from grandparents. And the younger generation rated expectations on them higher than did the middle age. So part of that could have to do with the fact that as we're, you know, modernizing and as families adapt to being in different countries and in different cultures, the middle aged children of older parents are more accepting of the idea of, okay, well, this is what my duty is. This is what I do. But it's those younger generations that are kind of chafing under these obligations. But I wonder if that does change as you get older and once you become a parent yourself and start understanding all that goes into parenting and the, you know, probably wanting, like Amy Chua said, like a little bit of not payback, but, you know, support in return for the support that she's given her kids. Although I'm sure that some people listening to say that is not support. Like there, there's still people who are not going to agree with, um, this kind of, parenting um and and I did want to look into whether or not filial piety has positive or negative childhood outcomes and from what I could gather you know it it's often correlated not so surprisingly with um lower disciplinary problems higher school achievement not so surprisingly if kids are being you know forced to do many hours of homework or extracurricular work on top of school and all in all you know by the numbers it seems like it has Good impacts. Although I was not able to find a more detailed study, for instance, interviewing children about, you know, what, what, how does this actually make you feel? You know, if you are, you might be performing well on paper, but, you know, it is so much in contrast to the kinds of Westerning parenting styles that we would normally think of. Um, but I, I am curious to know more of like the, those long term effects because we, you know, we do, we cherish that whole like parental warmth. And mm-hmm. I mean, even thinking today about uh, attachment parenting and helicopter parents where, you know, on, on the whole flip side of this, where, you know, a, a lot of American parents are almost just like hovering their kids and babying them to, to a large extent. And I'm not, I'm just, I'm saying that like as a broad generalization, I'm not saying that all parents do that. I'm, I'm setting up a, a contrast 
there. Yeah, but, please close that email you were about to send <laughs> to us. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but there was a study that came out in uh, 2010 in the American Association of Behavioral and Social Sciences Journal that supported the idea um, that maybe uh, Chinese students do hold higher expectations regarding their personal filial norms. Right. Just And because filial piety was at the center of that Chinese culture and Confucianism. In the West, there's less emphasis on that familial and community obligation and more on the individual. Darn you, Protestantism, uh, the study says, in, in not those words. But basically, you know, the individualism of, of Protestantism versus Confucianism, taking care of your family and your community. Well, so this study looked at Eastern and Western kids and and looked at their expectations and their attitudes toward taking care of their families. And they actually found that young people in some Southeast and East Asian cultures seem not to practice filial behavior willingly towards the elderly in general. Rather, they reluctantly accommodate these social norms and expectations of the elderly, these things that have been in their culture and that they're just expected to do. Young adults in Western cultures, though, who aren't expected to do these things, tended to believe that they were doing it very well because they didn't have the same weight of those expectations on them. So when they did help out their parents or grandparents, they were like, oh, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing a great job. This is great. Yeah, it's like you you come over for Mother's Day, Father's Day. You know, the bar is just very low. Right. And and, and again, I'm not saying that all American kids are like that, but absolutely the, the bar would be lower. And so, you know, it doesn't take quite as much to feel like a really good kid, perhaps. Yeah. And this whole conversation about filial piety is is not our argument for, you know, us (laughs) raising our our children under these, you know, Confucian traditions or anything like that. But we wanted to take Jennifer's suggestion and explore filial piety um, just to get a snapshot of of what uh, is going on in the rest of the world in terms of how parents raise their kids. And especially, you know, China is such a fascinating example because size wise, you know, it's it's comparable to the U.S. It's bigger than the U.S. And it's and it's a society that that we hear a lot about. But I don't think that we we really talk about in terms of how, say, families get along. Um, so we thought it would be a hopefully an enlightening exploration of that. Yeah, and I would love to hear from listeners who maybe had that traditional upbringing or they are currently raising their children in that more traditional upbringing or maybe people who had parents who were just totally like, whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, and and on the flip side of that, there are just as many people who who think that, you know, Amy Chua, et cetera, are completely and totally crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure there are plenty of people who would hear this and say, no, that kind of stuff is completely outdated. So, wait, we, you know, we need to modernize mm-hmm. our, our parenting. But I do, I do think though sometimes there is maybe more room. It, it makes me at least feel like maybe there's more room in my life for some filial piety. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, with that, send us your thoughts. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also tweet us at Momstuff Podcast or send us a message via Facebook. But Caroline, let's take a quick break, and then we will get to a couple of those messages. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And now back to our letters. Hey, Kristen, I have a letter here from Natalie about our, our secretary episode. She just found us recently. Ah, and, Natalie. And she, she says she couldn't help but download the Secretary episode. So she says, I am a proud administrative professional, but my title and its perceptions frustrate me. I don't like to be called a secretary because most folks think I do work a trained monkey could do. However, on our very first informal meeting, my boss said I am the glue of the office and nothing should happen without my say-so. That set the bar for me, and the only reason I don't make the final decisions is because of chain of command and technicalities. Otherwise, I'm the one coaching my bosses on what needs to be done. I don't want to be the boss because I don't want the stress, but I want the reward. To me, it's a win-win. Moreover, even though it is understood that the nature of my work is secretarial, our company has instituted a different title that is given only to a select group of admins who pass exams and certifications. Otherwise, they are simply secretaries and do not enjoy our special title. I love my job, but I confess I wish I could get over myself and stop getting cranky when people call me a secretary. I politely correct them and move on, though I remember they called me a secretary and hesitate to help them with something really easy, but really difficult for them in the future. I can be a brat, I know. Thanks, Natalie, and I don't think there's anything wrong with gently correcting people. I, when people call flight attendants stewardesses, I non-gently correct them. By kicking them in the shit. Right. Throwing hot coffee in their face. No. 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 Well, I have one here from Caitlin, and this is in response to our episode on stuffed animals. And my goodness, we have received so many delightful stuffed animal stories, and here is one of them. When I was 16, my mom and I went on a college road trip checking out a few schools I was interested in, and somewhere between Pennsylvania and Ohio, my beloved little white dog, Scruffy, went missing. I'd had him for nearly a decade at that point, and honestly, he went everywhere I did. Even as a teen, if I was leaving a zip code overnight, he was coming with me. And losing him was a big deal for me, and my parents were very sweet about it. 
Starting my freshman year of college, my mom began finding new scruffies on eBay. On Valentine's Day, Christmas, a few random Tuesdays as well, I was handed a box with a new friend, but they were never exactly right. One had a Santa hat, one had a rose in his mouth, and one was a size too small. The miracle of miracles, my mom found me a scruffy that was nearly identical to the one I had misplaced. For several years after college, I was traveling regularly for work and posted pictures of my buddy Scruffy on my blog and Twitter so my parents and friends could check in with where I was and what I was doing. People were generally great sports about getting their picture taken with them, and even as a mid-twenty-something, I was happy to have my buddy in my bag with me at all times. Anytime I hear a story about adults being judged for their stuffed animal friends, I get a little frustrated. As an only child with a very active communication and not super stable health with pretty bad asthma and allergies, I found solace in my little white dog, and I'm not ashamed at all that as an adult, I still do. I like having him with me, and it's a reminder of my family and friends who love me. So thanks to Caitlin for that endearing tale of Scruffy. And here's wishing... You and Scruffy, many years of, of happiness and health. And thanks to everybody who's written in with their stuffed animal tales and everything else to momstuffadiscovery.com. You can also, again, find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. On Facebook, you can follow us on Tumblr at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And now you can watch us on YouTube. That's right. We come out with a brand new video three times a week at youtube.com slash stuffmomnevertoldyou. And you should be a doll and subscribe while you're at it. And if you'd like to read up and get a little smarter this week, you can head to our website, itshowstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.